and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. Antisocial behaviour is as old as time. There have always been drunken people, disturbed people, angry people who annoy other people because they're loud, violent and destructive. But in the last 25 years, politicians have made repeated attempts to crack down on it. They've come up with a variety of ways to punish and deter people with, let's say, varying degrees of success. Nick Pettigrew was an antisocial behaviour officer for 18 years and he joins us today to talk about the task of trying to stop people making other people's lives annoying. Welcome to The Bunker, Nick. Thank you for having me. No, it's good to be here. What made you become an antisocial behaviour officer? Um, it's, it's one of those jobs that finds you rather than the other way around, I think. I'd sort of bounced around various jobs and I was working in a warehouse, actually. I saw a job advert in a newspaper, which gives you some idea how long ago it was. So I started working in housing, dealing with every issue, uh, repairs, rents, etc. But it was always the antisocial behaviour calls that I found interesting because they were the, the sort of meatier, more interesting cases to deal with. So I, I kind of fell into it that way. And, you know, if you, if you speak to antisocial behaviour officers, they'll tell you it's a job you do for three months or 20 years, because you find very quickly it's either something that you would run away screaming from wanting to do again or it's something that you have a, an aptitude for. What is antisocial behaviour? I think there's a definition or do you just know it when you see it? Well, there's a very boring technical uh, legal definition but, you know, the phrase that you've used there is, I think, better. It's, I would say, it's like pornography. You know, you can't define it but you know when you see it. You know. The very dull version is any behaviour likely to cause alarm, harassment, distress for one or more persons not of the same household. So it's, if somebody's behaving in a way that is impacting your quality of life and you don't live with them. I think some of the focus on antisocial behaviour um, from governments has tried to stray away from that because they've tried to rope in what is essentially criminal behaviour. So things like car theft or robbery, pickpocketing, and so on. Those are antisocial acts, but they are dealt with under the criminal system. And I think it's it's disingenuous to to try and sort of lump them in with the same thing. So how much of it is fueled by alcohol or drugs? Because there's been a long association, as far as the government is concerned, between them. But how much of it really is inspired, if you like, that's the wrong word, by being intoxicated in one way or another? A slight digression. I was I was diagnosed with ADHD two years ago, um, much to the lack of surprise of everybody who's ever met me. Um, but my consultant said, he said, um, you know, you've had depression, but you have ADHD and you're depressed because you've got ADHD. He said, you're, you're mixing up the symptoms with the cause. Um, and he likened it to if you have high blood pressure, which gives you headaches, you don't treat the headache, you treat the high blood pressure. And for me, things like substance dependence or, or unmet mental health issues, they're the symptoms, they're not what the problem is. So yes, I would say that um, substance misuse was present in a large majority of, of the cases that we dealt with, uh, that I dealt with, um, along with unmet mental health needs. But for me, as I say, working on it on a sort of holistic point of view, they are symptoms. And if those needs were being met with proper support services and so on, the behaviour then wouldn't present itself. And in the same way, young people are generally blamed for antisocial behaviour. Is that fair portrayal? I would say um, statistically, um, certainly the last study I looked at, um, young people are as likely to be victims of antisocial behaviour as they are uh, people causing it. Um, and I think, again, it's looking at it as a, a symptom 
Led point of view, rather than what the the root cause of it is, and certainly the the governmental and, and press um, portrayal of antisocial behaviour focuses very heavily on youth disorder, gangs, and you know hoodies. There was that nonsense in Romford the other day. Um, but then you look at the root causes and go, okay, well, do sure start centres exist anymore? Do youth centres exist anymore? Does uh, training for young people exist anymore? Do opportunities exist for young people anymore? And I think when you look at it on, through that prism, you go, well, clearly, if, if, you, if you sort of rope off opportunities for young people, they are going to get funneled towards behaviour that other people find problematic. And to be honest with you, um, if I had a pound for every call I had as an ASB officer where somebody was saying, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a gang of lads in, in the park opposite, and... My follow-up question, well, what are they doing? Well, they're sat there and they're talking. Okay, but what are they doing? And the very act of existing was seen as antisocial. Um, they were just sitting around, chatting, you know, teenagers being a bit loud, but that's all they were doing. And, and that gets amplified when that's the only place they can do that. So I think the focus on young people, I think, is, is unfair. Uh, I mean, it, certainly some ASB is caused by younger people but some of the worst people I dealt with uh, as an ASB officer were in you know were older than I was they were in their 50s and 60s So let's go back 25 years quarter of a century in 1998 it was the Labour government introduced the ASBO the Antisocial Behaviour Order and immediately that became a kind of byword for a certain kind of degeneracy what exactly was the ASBO? It's frustrating the ASBO because um, it's like I don't know if you're if you're an expert on transport and people kept talking about penny farthings. Um, the it was it was a court order that was introduced to curb behaviour that was to some degree sub criminal, or the criminal justice system wasn't effective in dealing with repeated low level behaviour. In essence, it was a court order that had a list of things: don't do this, and if you did this. We can bring you back to court, and if we can prove you did it, there's a punishment. That might be a fine, it might be uh, uh, imprisonment and so on. But ASBOs have not existed longer than they existed. They existed for, I think, seven years, mm. and they've not existed for nine years. Um, they were replaced in 2014. But they were, I think, a genuine attempt to deal with, as I say, problematic behaviour that, that the system at that point didn't have proper tools to deal with. But again, um, the broad brush approach from from the press and, and and you know from certain politicians sort of reduced it to oh it's a badge of honour and they're being handed out like sweets and they don't work etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that's they they weren't perfect and they needed replacing which they eventually were. But I think they were a, an attempt to try and deal with this problem. And what were they replaced by? I should point out that they still exist in Scotland, I suppose. Yes. I mean, I, I dealt in England and Wales solely, so that's that's always my frame of reference. Um, but certainly in England and Wales in 2014, essentially there was a real rag bag of, of powers that the local authorities had and, and they were a bit confusing, they were a bit overlapping. So in 2014, it was slimmed down a lot and, and essentially what you would Used for with an ASBO was was uh, an injunction, an ASB injunction, which again was a court order saying you should not do X, Y, and Z. But the process was simplified. Um, the people who could apply for them was was broadened, so it was social landlords as well as local authorities and so on. 
and they've been ever since pretty much the the main sort of tool for dealing with individuals whose behaviour are causing problems because they're fairly straightforward in in the sense that if you can evidence a pattern of behaviour, you can go to the court and ask for an order to tell that person to stop doing that pattern of behaviour, essentially. And what happens if you breach the terms of the order? Prison is, is you know, uh, the most common, but that's often suspended. They can be used, breach of orders, to trigger other punishments if you're a social landlord tenant. Breach of order can be used as evidence to start eviction proceedings, but that's extreme and obviously you don't want to do that. That's a, a, a last resort. But also injunctions uh, have positive requirements now that you can place into them. So, you know, we talked about addiction before. You can place in an order a requirement that people attend counselling for, for addiction treatment to try and address the behaviour. But my experience of injunctions were they were broadly successful. I would say, and this is my personal experience, I would say 80 to 85% of injunctions were never breached because it was enough for the person to realise that, you know, the first warnings, the written warnings, the conversations didn't get through to them. But suddenly when you find yourself in court, that's enough for them to realise, okay, well, I, I need to look at the way I'm, I'm behaving. That's really interesting because eight years after they were first introduced, so 2006, more than three quarters of Britons thought that Britain still had a problem with antisocial behaviour. Mm. So clearly it didn't change the perception. Yes, um, the perception of ASB is, again, I, from my experience, is, is very different from the reality um, in a lot of cases. But, you know, perception's important. If people don't feel safe in, in, their, in their communities, then, then that's an issue. But I think that perception was largely fed again, to go back to sort of media portrayals and, and political portrayals of this is the problem. It's it's hoodies, it's gangs, it's these... F- I mean, I always hated that for feral children and all this kind of thing. It's a really easy win. It's a really easy headline. And the other thing I would say as well is that, that those powers were available and when used and probably financed and funded, very effective. But when you strip away that ability to deal with ASB and, and monitor it afterwards and give people support. If you get rid of the, the, the you know, the safety net, mm. your ability to deal with ASB is greatly diminished. And, and to be honest with you, the safety net is more important for me as an ASB officer than the enforcement side of things, because if people don't have that support network, they're going to behave that way. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the slow newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Antisocial behaviour, it can, let's face it, be a nightmare because sometimes the left especially, you know, says that we exaggerate antisocial behaviour. But if you've got neighbours playing loud music at night, for example, that is awful. It just kind of steadily erodes your quality of life. And did you have a lot of those kind of things where it wasn't necessarily someone being outwardly menacing, but they were really making other people's lives very difficult? Yep, completely. The Pilkington case was always the guiding principle for ASB officers, uh, which w- was a case whereby a mum and her daughter were 
subjected to what was viewed as low-level ASB, and it clearly wasn't. And it wasn't serious violent acts, but it, it was repeated and nothing was done about it. And sadly, the uh, the person in question took her life and took her daughter's life. So my guiding principle always as an ASB officer was, what will you tell the inquiry? When you deal with ASB, there's, there's a tendency to talk about low-level and high-level ASB. And, and I never liked that because that slow erosion of your quality of life can be exhausting. So for me, somebody having to put up with your example, very loud music on a, on a on a nightly basis, for me that would be serious because I can see, and when you speak to people, you can see the effect it's having on them. And again, it's it's that perception that ASB is the terrifying people with their hoods up and a knife out. That's part of it, but that's not the the big chunk of it. It is people whose lives are being very slowly worn down by persistent unpleasant behaviour. So both Labour and the Tories have been talking recently about making punishments for breaching these orders. So, for example, being forced to clean up the graffiti, you've done something like that. Does that make any practical difference or does it just make other local people feel better? My personal view is it's, it's, it's the modern version of the stocks. I think there is a place for restorative justice and I think, to be honest with you, both parties have been guilty of this over recent months of reinventing the wheel. Essentially, the proposals from both parties have been a mixture of this won't work, we already do this, or we don't need this. So the idea of restorative justice, which is, you know, let's have them cleaning off graffiti in orange jumpsuits. Restorative justice already exists and has done for many, many years, whereby the local community can say, what should this person do in terms of the form of the punishment? For me, having somebody uh, pointed out in an orange jumpsuit cleaning graffiti removes them from the society in which they are living and it isolates them further whereas somebody that feels an investment in the environment in which they live is less likely to reoffend either criminally or with antisocial behavior and if you're the guy that you saw in the orange jumpsuit that's less likely to happen so i think there is a place for more inventive ways of punishing proven antisocial behavior that can be again the restorative justice model of just speaking with the victims and sitting down in a in a in a sort of a, a format that's safe and, and is is sort of moderated where people can get across this is what your behavior did to me and how it made me feel and that can be incredibly effective but it needs resourcing and it is time intensive and finance intensive but it works uh, in a way that you know being able to point at somebody and you know laugh at them or or, or demean them for me doesn't so the shaming just doesn't work. The revenge instinct we we have, if we give way to that, that's not going to work. I, I don't. I, I don't see a convincing argument for why it would. I don't see why you would take somebody that would feel such little uh, sense of community themselves, or a little investment in their own community themselves, to the point at which they were behaving in a way that was, you know, uh, antisocial. And increasing that feeling, it's like treating alcoholism by giving somebody a bottle of vodka. It's just you're exacerbating the problem in a sense. Um, but what it does do is, I think, for me, certainly with with the the government's pronouncements recently, is it's another battlefront on a culture war thing. It's an easy thing to say. It doesn't cost anything, and it makes people feel sort of good that you know I can see that something's being done without dealing with the structural issues that cause these problems in the first place. So let's talk about nitrous oxide, which is the focus of the latest crackdown. NOx is not yet illegal, although the government intends to criminalise it, 
And here's the levelling up secretary, Michael Gove, explaining why. If you walk through any urban park, you will see these little silver canisters, which are the evidence of people regarding public spaces as arenas for drug taking. That is unacceptable. Um, People should uh, feel that those spaces are being looked after in a way which means that they are safe for children, that they are not the recourse for people who want to engage in this sort of antisocial behaviour. Nox doesn't make you drunk. It gives you a brief giggly high. Is this likely to make people start breaking windows, becoming aggressive, being antisocial? Again, I think it's looking at a symptom um, and, and it's a visible thing and it's a littering issue. To be honest with you, broadly speaking, certainly when I was an ASB officer, the, the, the canisters are an eyesore and it's a littering issue way more than it is an ASB issue because, as you pointed out, the, the nitrous oxide effects are quite brief. Uh, it, they don't tend to lead towards violent behaviour. You'll be loud because you'll be laughing and so on. There are slight health issues involved, but they've been massively exaggerated. I've, I've read reports that the overwhelming majority of medical complications involved with nitrous oxide are in surgical situations. So it's when it's being used clinically. So uh, I, I think there's been a handful of sort of personal misuse cases where that's led to medical complications, um, but but it's minuscule. And, and, and you look at if Michael Gove, as somebody with an interest in housing, he, he wants to really focus on something that will help people live better lives, then he might want to tackle the overwhelming amount of housing that is substandard, full of mould, and overcrowded because there's been no houses built for 13 years. So he might want to focus on that more. Well, is there any evidence that government is interested in the causes of ASB, or is it just interested in deterring and punishing it? Um, I've not seen it. It, it, I had a new manager many years ago who came in and said, I want to get rid of antisocial behaviour on our estates. How do we go about that? And I remain a quite gobby person who's not interested in being promoted. So I said, well, look, if we can, and we talked about this earlier, if we can reintroduce youth centres and short start centres and end austerity and fund education and have a, a sensible drugs policy in the country that's not... Uh, punitive but but is is treated as a medical issue and and reinvest in mental health services, Um, I reckon we could get rid of it in about three months. And that's kind of the answer. There's the the thing in science about the grand unified theory that you have all these different uh, formulae and the idea is eventually you get to one formulae that will answer everything. And in the past I'd said, well, look, you know, ASB is caused by this, it's caused by that. And in my book, I, I reduce it to its mental health provision um, youth provision and a, a ridiculous drug policy in this country. And those three things are the cause of like 95% of ASB problems. But I've, I've more recently got my grand unified theory. It's poverty. Mm-hmm. If you deal with entrenched poverty, most ASB will disappear because I've been an ASB officer in literally properties that were just off the King's Road in Chelsea. And the cases I was dealing with then we're extremely low level. And I've dealt with ASB in one of the poorest boroughs in the country, and they were not. And that's not a coincidence. And, and essentially, if you deal with entrenched poverty, most of these problems will disappear. And it's very difficult for somebody like Michael Gove, who's been working for a government for the last 13 years, to say, the last 13 years of your project has been a failure, and that's what's causing it. And there's no way on God's earth they're ever going to admit that. Nick Pettigrew, thanks so much. Thanks. It's, it's, it's been really great. Thank you.
Nick Pettigrew's book about his time as an antisocial behaviour officer, Antisocial, is published by Penguin. If you enjoyed this episode of The Bunker, then do consider backing us on Patreon. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. The Bunker was written and presented by Ros Taylor. The producer was Kasia Tomaszewicz, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.